This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to Across the Board on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to Across the Board, the podcast that focuses on boards of directors, corporate governance, and management of strategic risk. In this episode, I visit with Henry Wolf. Henry is a Vega activist, investor, and author of Governance Arbitrage. We take a deep dive into his recent article, Director Selection Criteria at Public Companies is Poor, Here's How to Fix It. Fascinating exploration of the current selection process for board of directors, why it's broken, and Henry's prescription for getting it fixed. I know you will enjoy it. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud part of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Henry Wolf. Henry is the chairman of De La Vega, uh, activist investor and author of uh, Governance Arbitrage. But what we're here today to talk about is just an excellent article that I recently came across that Henry was the author of. It was on, I found it on Corporate Compliance Insights. It's entitled, What's Wrong with Director Selection at Public Companies? So, Henry, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, happy to do so, Tom, and thank you for having me. Henry, uh, in every corporate scandal I can think of over the last five years, uh, if uh, usually the second question is, after what happened, is where was the board? And it's from my perspective, boards are under more pressure today more to worry about. They have more to think about. The potential liability to organizations is just exponentially more. Uh, and I was so I was wondering is how all that ties to your overall thesis that there's a problem with director selection at public companies. Well, I will try in response to that question not to be long-winded because I could be. Um, I, I guess overall, Tom, my view is is that public company boards the governance model itself has basically gotten out of control. And what my underlying thesis as far as public company governance is, is that the current model needs to be, at at the very best, it needs to be materially changed and uh, developed into one that more closely approximates the private equity model. You'll never get all the way there, but the biggest concern that I've got is, is that the current model doesn't focus enough on the business and developing the full potential of the company. And you know, I've got a lot of statistics, a lot of data, and a lot of personal experience that this substantiates that. Henry, uh, in your article, you talked about the GE board, but I'm going to talk about the Wells Fargo board because I've looked at that extensively after their fraudulent accounts scandal. And they had a board of uh, some 12 people, uh, 10 of which, excuse me, eight of which were CEOs, two of which had been retired generals, uh, excuse me, six were former CEOs, two were retired generals, two were uh, members, cabinet members, and then two were academic professors. One was a dean of a business school. And it it was diverse. It was age, uh, both diverse in terms of gender, diverse in terms of age. It was as great a cross-section of a blue-chip board you could ask for. But it seemed like to me that it absolutely failed in having the category of uh, focused directors with subject matter expertise other than having been a big shot at one time. 
Yeah, and, and you see that. I mean, that's that's just typical of, of public company boards. And being a big shot, whether it's a, being a general or even being a CEO, doesn't qualify one for a particular type of board. I mean, a, a bank especially. And banking is far outside of my expertise, but I mean, it doesn't take uh, a, a lot of genius to realize the specific and complex issues that surround a bank. And more specifically with the Wells, the initial Wells Fargo scandal with the employees and their fraudulent behavior, if you had had a board with a governance model like I have proposed, you would have the board far more engaged in the plans that were developed that set those what at least has been described as unrealistic goals, which led, led to the uh, illegal behavior. This board, obviously, with all their credentials, all their big shotness, was entirely too far removed from the plans that were being developed. And in that context, that's simply reflective of the current governance model. It's in t way, way too hands off. In addition to, as you pointed out, not selecting directors based on the right criteria. So let's get to that criteria because I was just struck by uh, the use of your word competence. And it would seem to me that that would be a, a mandatory byword for a director. But you point out that uh, that's not the mandatory byword. The mandatory byword is independence. So I was wondering if you might tell us how we started with the word independence and why competence is really the key word, uh, at least a key word now. Yeah, the, the issue with independence is kind of interesting. You know, most people think about it that, that it became prominent in the last you know, 15 to 18 years since uh, the scandals, Enron, WorldCom, et cetera. And granted, I mean, there was a big acceleration there, but it actually goes back to the 1970s. And you had, again, again a situation that was reacted to. It was the bankruptcy of Penn Central and the realization of the interlocking directorships that were involved with Penn Central. And that was the first time that on a, on a uh, fairly consistent basis that the concept of independent directors got introduced into the business lexicon. There wasn't much done about it, but it was, it was at least introduced and became more part of the overall thought presses, processes regarding public company governance. The second step was in the 90s, and it didn't take place in the U.S., it took place in the U.K., and it, it was after uh, Adrian Cadbury uh, did his report on corporate governance, and then the corporate governance code that came out of that was the first that really focused strongly on the mandatory needs for the majority of directors to be independent, and then, as you well know, the debacles in this country, Enron, WorldCom, Tyco, Adelphia, Global Crossing, et cetera, in 2000, 2001, really set it into motion. And the major stock exchanges, the SEC, Sarbanes-Oxley, the governance community itself, all collaborated together to make independence be the primary criteria for director selection. And unfortunately, that has devolved, in, in my view, from independence to independence simply for independence sake. So if we could move to uh, what you think a board should consider and really as a minimum, what are the categories you believe a, a board or director selection should consist of? I think at the minimum, and, and I think it's going to depend on the particular board as to whether it goes beyond this minimum and to 
what the specificity is beyond the minimum. But at very minimum, I think that there should be some board members with industry experience. And let me be real clear with that. Not just industry experience, but current industry experience. It doesn't mean that they have to be working in the industry now, but that their experience is current enough in this rapidly changing world where the knowledge they bring is relevant to the case at hand. The other thing is, and this is going to be the, the same uh, qualification for every one of the competencies, is there needs to be track record. It's not good enough just to have experience. They need to have track record, a track record in the industry of performance increases and value creation. The second major category that I think directors should fall into as far as competence would be specific skills that are relative to the value drivers of the company. I'll get, let me just give you a perfect example of this. A private equity uh, uh, company I was involved in recently, well, shortly after we bought the company, we developed our value maximization plan. And it was very clear from this plan that the single biggest lever we could pull on the efficiency side of the business was to improve the logistics and distribution function of the company. It was really a mess and, and uh, had a lot of upside to it. And because it was so critical to our overall value maximization plan, we thought it would be beneficial to bring somebody in from the outside on the board who had done what we were setting out to do in a previous situation. So we did. We've, we've, and we found a very good director who at a, two large companies had completely reconstructed the entire distribution system had gotten good results, and it proved out he was an invaluable member of the board. So, again, that's an example of special expertise, not necessarily industry, but specific to the value drivers or the key value drivers of the company. The third component is one that's probably for your typical public company board will be the most maybe controversial or the most unusual sounding. And that third criteria is in are individuals who have what I will refer to as general value creation experience. And the perfect example of, and it's not limited here, but the perfect example of individuals who have that kind of experience and track record are senior people from private equity firms, from the top quartile of private equity firms. That's the business they're in. They're in they, they exist to maximize value over the holding period of their portfolio companies for their limited partners. And the ones at the top quartile firms are exceedingly good at it. They also bring something else that is very much missing and was very much missing with the GE board, and that's capital allocation skills. Uh, it's rare for senior executives, including CEOs, to have really good capital allocation skills because capital allocation is, is primarily investing. And so critical that you have those three competencies. Beyond that, it would I think it would depend on the particular board uh, that has you know a particular need somewhere that's not covered with these, but I would I don't want to speculate on that because that would be individual situation uh, to individual situation. So with um with these competencies, uh, well, let me step back. Uh, I wrote an article today uh, where I used your framework in the context of Uber. And I have advocated for quite a while that corporations need to have compliance subject matter expertise on the board. 
uh, because of all the issues involving uh, whether it's regulators, regulatory, reputational, or business risk around uh, compliance. Do you see uh, the, the suggestions you have made as really gaining traction, or uh, are we really still kind of stuck in a glacial age of uh, board directorships? Well, I think right now we're, we're more stuck in the glacial age than, than we're not. Uh, you do see some signs of, of what I am advocating developing, but it's almost exclusively in situations that are pushed by activist investors. The classic example of that is when Starboard Value replaced the entire board at Darden Restaurants. And if you look at the previous board, there was not a single person on that board that met any of the criteria of the competencies that I just listed. But if you looked at the board that Starboard put in their place, a 12-member board, every single board member lined up with some part of the value maximization plan that Starboard had developed or they were very much heavyweights with strong track records in the restaurant industry. Uh, it was night and day. So, yeah, there's, there's some movement, but most of it's by, by uh, activists. What I believe needs to happen, I'm not suggesting it will happen, but what needs to happen is there needs to be a wake-up call on the part of institutional investors because they have the ability to have impact across a broader array of companies than the activists do. Well, Henry, unfortunately, uh, we're near the end of our time. But uh, before we uh, sign off, I was wondering if uh, any of our listeners were interested in either yourself or getting more information about some of the topics we've discussed today. Uh, how could they do so? I think probably the, the simplest way would be to go to my book's website. Uh, it's governancearbitrage.com. Uh, there is a way there to contact me on that on that website. I think that's probably uh, the simplest way to go about it. Again, that's governancearbitrage.com. Henry, uh, this has been a fascinating discussion, and frankly, I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Across the Board. If you'd like more information, I would urge you to check out Henry's article, which I've linked to in the show notes, a fascinating exploration of the problems we discuss in this podcast and perhaps some of the solutions going forward. I hope you'll join us again for another episode of Across the Board. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud part of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.